I wonder if you've been to see Ozzy the Bull yet. Have you seen it? Not, not yet. Some of you have. It was unveiled this week, um, and Major Samuel and Major Julia, the chaplains at Grand Central, shop, the shopping centre above New Street, of course, were there for the unveiling. There's some pictures hopefully coming up. And then we went to see it, the girls and I went to have a wee nosy on, uh, on Friday um, evening as well. And it kind of, every half hour, it moves its head and goes, <laughs> it's kind of like a mix. It goes, <laughs> it's like a mix of a roar and a moo. So you, when you listen, it's like, it doesn't know what it is, really. Um, anyway, of course, we first saw a year ago to the day that it was unveiled in um, Grand Central in, in New Street. We saw it when, it when it made its grand entrance in the opening ceremony of the Commonwealth Games. Do you remember? Do you remember seeing it coming out, being pulled by all the chain makers from the black country? And, it, and it's changed a little bit since then. It's had to undergo a bit of um, refurbishment to make it a, a more sturdier structure um, in New Street Station from the material that it's made to the colours of its eyes. I think in the um, Commonwealth Games it had red eyes, whereas now it's kind of like this whitey sort of violety colour now. It has undergone a transformation. The old bull has gone and the, old, the new bull has come. <laughs> And when it was first built, it was for the duration, of course, just for the Commonwealth Games. It was just for that time, for the summer. Um, but its purpose has changed now, and so it needs to be fit for purpose now. And as we continue to work through the book of Ephesians for our post-Pentecost theme, we see Paul is wanting us to be fit for purpose as Christians through the power of God, the dunamis. And in these first three chapters, again, we just have a recap. We read the theology of who God is and his purpose for each one of us and for the world. And from chapter four onwards, we read how we, we put that theory, that, that, that theology into practice, how we live the dynamis and are fit for purpose. If you remember last week, Adrian talked about the life transformed through the power of God about us turning around and walking in a different direction. Do you remember? And how that can be quite costly and that it's impossible for you to go in both directions at the same time. You can't physically go in the new direction if you're still trying to go in the old direction, can you? And as we become Christ followers, we have been made new and are no longer that other person. So we should act according to our new nature imparted to us. Be fit for purpose as a follower of Christ. And this week we continue with the theme of a life transformed. As we walk in the dunamis, the power of God, what do we need to, to live the life transformed? Well, firstly, we're told that we need to live in love. In uh, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, it says there, follow God's example. In other translations, it says, be imitators of God. They say that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, but we sometimes, of course, need to be careful who we're imitating. 
And I read a story about a new missionary who went to Venezuela for the first time. He was struggling with the language and didn't understand a whole lot of what was going on. Intending to visit one of the local churches, he got lost. But he eventually got back on track and found the place. Having arrived late, the church was already packed. The only pew left was the one on the front row. So as not to make a fool of himself, he decided to pick someone out of the crowd to imitate. He chose to follow the man sitting next to him on the front pew. And as they sang, the man clapped his hands, so the missionary clapped his hands too. When the man stopped, stood up, sorry, to, to pray, the missionary stood up to pray too. Stood up too. When the man sat down, he sat down. When the man held the cup and bread for the Lord's Supper, he held the cup and bread. During the preaching, the, recruit, the missionary didn't understand a thing. He just sat there and tried to look just like the man in the front pew. Then he worked out that the preacher was giving the announcements. People clapped, so he looked to see if the man was clapping. He was, and so he clapped too. Then the preacher said some words that he didn't understand, and he saw the man next to him stand up. He stood up too. Suddenly, a hush fell over the entire congregation. A few people gasped. He looked around and saw that no one else was standing, so he sat down. After the service ended, the preacher stood at the door shaking hands of those who, the hands of those who were leaving. And when the missionary stretched out his hand to greet the preacher, the preacher said in English, I take it you don't understand Spanish. The missionary replied, no, is it that obvious? Well, yes, said the preacher. I announced that the Acosta family had a newborn baby boy, and would the proud father please stand up? <laughs> Paul says, first and foremostly here, we are not to mimic those who are far from God, but rather we should imitate God, follow his example. Now, there are so many people, things, people we can imi imitate. We imitate popular culture. We imitate people in the media, YouTube, Instagram, sports personalities, singers, musicians, so forth. We can imitate our parents and should if they set a good example. We can imitate our friends, the people around us. We can imitate our teachers, our leaders even. But here, he's telling us that we need to imitate him. It should be the goal of every Christian to have their life look much like, as much like God as possible. And for the next 14 verses of chapter 5, it outlines exactly what it means to be an imitator of God. This command to imitate God is a thoroughly biblical idea and not unusual in Jewish and Greek thought. Although other texts may not be explicit, the Bible assumes that God's covenant people take their character from him. Leviticus 19, perhaps the most striking text, where the Israelites are commanded to be holy because God is holy. That's imitating him. Paul says here that the primary way we imitate God is by living a life of love. Remember, it says, we are God's dearly loved children. Read back through chapters 1 to 3 where Paul talks about us being adopted into God's family, being his heirs. A person takes the characteristics of the family to which he or she belongs. And since we belong to God's family and as his children have received love, we should be like him and show his love. 
The standard by which Christian love is shaped and energized is the self-giving love of Christ on the cross. That's what it says. He gave up himself as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice. The best way to communicate the truth of God's word and the power of God's grace is through love. Live in love as Christ lived in love when he came to us seeking to save the lost. But then he says in verses 3 to 5, but among you there must be not there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper in, for God's holy people. Nor should there be any obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. You see the shift from Christ's self-giving nature in verse 2 to the, self, in, the self-indulgence of verse 3 here is striking. Imitating God and his selfless love will keep you from sin and self-indulgence. That's what he's kind of saying here. His kind of love will prevent you from harming others. Do you notice here in verse 4, it says, nor should there be any be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Our speech is an indicator about what's going on inside our hearts. Examine your speech. It may be trying to alert you to a heart problem. Improper talk has no place in the Christian conversation. Instead, Paul says that we should use our speech to be thankful. When my husband does something for me, I thank him. I am always thankful for him 24-7. And that thankfulness that dwells in and emanates from the heart manifests itself in my life and my relationship to him. Carrying on that thought a little further, when I deliberately go in my mind to all the reasons I have to be thankful for this relationship with my husband and think of the love we have for one another and therefore kindles within me this thankfulness for for him and especially when I am moved to vocalize that thankfulness or show it by some kind of loving act, I cannot at the same time be doing or saying something that would offend, insult, or otherwise harm him or our relationship. I can't do it. It's like oil and water. Do you get it? Remember I said at the beginning that you can't be heading in the new direction and in the old direction at the same time. It just doesn't work. So thanksgiving is a really important component in Paul's thought here. It's the basic attitude of the Christian For it forces attention on God, his grace, his desires, rather than our desires, our self-indulgence. It highlights and affirms our love for him and helps to keep us fit for purpose. So we live in love. And secondly, we live in light. For you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. The word children reminds us of verses 1 and 2 where Paul spoke about us as dearly loved children for whom Christ died. Because we are God's dearly loved children and we are also children of light. If this is who we are, then it's how we must walk day by day. It's not easy. It can be long and slow process. It involves identifying the darkness in our lives and around us and confessing it and dealing with it. But it's something that we need to do. 
God has changed us from darkness to light, and that means we have the strength to live as children of light in his dynamis. This underlying thought is based on Paul's sphere, spheres of influence theology. People take on the character of the sphere in which they live. Once they lived in darkness, they were in darkness. And now they live in the light. They are light. They are not light of themselves, of course, but it says they are only light in the Lord. Do you see that? It says light, but now you are light in the Lord. When we are in him, who is the light, we too are light. And I ask this question to you. I wonder what sphere of influence that you live in. Are you living in the light of the Lord? Or, you know, the other. You are in the light of the Lord. <clears throat> now live like it. What does that mean? To light, like to, to walk in the, the ch as children of light. Well, Paul spells this out in verse 9 what light produces in our life. The fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Goodness, at the most fundamental level, living God's way is good. It manifests itself in generosity and good works. Righteousness, it is in line with God's standards in creation as revealed in God's word to us. It's right living. Truth. In Ephesians, the fundamental truth is the truth of the gospel, the truth that Jesus died for our sins and rose again. But this truth is not just a set of bare facts to memorize. It's a truth that is lived. If you're in Christ, then once you were in darkness, but now you're in light, that doesn't mean that you're superior to others. The darkness of sin is still there in your life and you need to work to put it to death regularly. And yet in Christ, your very identity has changed to something far better. It's good and right and true. Even in the midst of our own sin and pain, in Christ, you are light. I wonder if you believe that. <coughs> Consider this. Light reveals. Light warms. Light creates life. Light is inviting and attractive. But light also exposes. Light always overpowers darkness, never the other way around. Live in light. And finally, we live in wisdom. He instructs us to do this. Because we are in light, we should be able to see our lives and the pathway before us clearly. And because we can see our lives clearly, we should go through our lives carefully and vigilant and vi or vigilantly. If your children play Lego, it's how you walk through the house at night because you don't want to step on any stray bits of Lego. That is painful. Or if you're a soldier, it's how you walk through an active mind. As believers who can see our lives in the light of God's truth, we have a duty to walk carefully and accurately through life. And as we go through our daily lives, we make all sorts of choices and decisions and these decisions should be based upon what we know about God and what we know from his word. We should make all our decisions from a Christ-centered perspective with God's values in mind and an eternal perspective in view. As believers, we must make every decision carefully, not just the big ones like what we're going to do in life and where we're going to live or anything like that, but to live wisely and carefully requires us to pay attention to the smaller daily decisions of our everyday lives, like the kind of conversations we're having, 
like the people that we, that we spend time with. But do we? So he says here, if we want to live in wisdom, firstly, we need to make skillful, godly decisions. Paul says that walking this way means we should walk not as unwise or as wise. Wise then means to be skillful, to be clever, learned, intelligent, and divinely instructed. Think about the way a neurosurgeon removes a tumor from a living person's brain or how a a world-class engineer designs a hundred-story skyscraper. It's incredible. It's skillful. It's wise. And people's lives depend on it. Live like wise and skillful people. Yet how much of our lives this past week have been guided by the skillful wisdom of God, the truth of Christ, and the teachings of God's word, for real? How much? If we're going to walk in wisdom, we need to saturate our minds with the truth of God's word. As believers and children of God, let's put our minds and our hearts in the right place. Let's tune into the truth. If you want to If we want to live in wisdom, we've got to make the most of every opportunity, he says here. As believers who live wisely, we must learn how to snatch opportunity from the jaws of defeat and live and, and life from the shadow of the grave. We should find ways to turn our evil days, the darkness, into a gospel advantage, making a difference for the kingdom of God. And then he says, if we want to live in wisdom, don't get drunk on wine, he says. This recognizes that there are things in life that can drive us to drink or similar. There are pressures in life, there are demands made upon you so severe that you will feel the need of some stimulation, something that will steady you a bit, give you some confidence, take you out of, take you out of the situation. And Paul says, instead of doing that, be filled with the Spirit, for this is God's provision for the need in human life. There's no need to feel ashamed over the sense of need. We're not made to be self-sufficient, independent creatures. You do need something, but let it be the right thing. Be filled with the Spirit. As Christians, we constantly need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the momentary taking from him of the resources you need for the situation you're in. It has nothing to do with an experience or feeling or a crisis. It's a quiet drinking again and again of an inner supply of strength. And when we do that, we know the will of God more clearly and we'll be walking wise and in the power of God. So I wonder today, are you living a life transformed, fit for purpose? Are you living in love, in light, in wisdom? For all of us on the journey, wherever we are on this faith journey, we can all do better. We can all move forward, keep moving forward. Perhaps as we've read through this Bible reading of Paul's, some of the things that he's got to say has called us out this morning and has maybe hit us a bit close to home. But the great thing is that in these very moments, we can be filled with the Spirit of God to give us strength and desire to turn around if necessary and travel in the right direction. And so we take a few moments for the spirit of the living God to fall afresh on us and to fill us anew as we travel on this dunamis walk. And as we do, we're going to use a beautiful little chorus that simply says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. Fill me anew. 
fill me anew, Spirit of the Lord, fall afresh on me. In these moments, right here, right now, it doesn't need to be any great drama, great expression. Just in the moments as we're sitting here or as we're kneeling here, we can just be filled with the Spirit. How amazing is that? We can just be filled with the Spirit. That can help us to turn around. That can help us to give a bit of a, a kick, a boost, to encourage us in the right direction. We all need that. Each one of us, right here, right now. We need it right now. Wherever your place Whatever your place is on your faith journey, we all need this filling of the living God to help us live this life transformed, to help us be fit for purpose in this kingdom. I'm going to ask that Trisha just play this chorus, the tune just to remind us, but as we do, we can prayerfully ask that the, the spirit of the living God would fall afresh on us, maybe challenging us and showing us ways in which we need to go a different direction maybe challenging us on conversations that we've had lives that we're living that are not honourable to him just giving us a boost to be better to live better to make a better me take this moment to allow the Lord to speak to us So will you join me as we sing this prayer together? Let this be our prayers. Fall afresh on me, Lord. Spirit. to speak to you just now. So let's make this prayer again together. Fall afresh on me, Lord. Fall afresh on me. Spirit.
eternal God, we thank you today for your goodness. You have given us beautiful days. You bless us richly with goodness daily. We thank you and praise you. Lord, we live in a time of considerable confusion. We ask today for your wisdom. We are often fearful. We live in a time of war and world unrest. Different and competing interests strive for our attention and loyalty. Help us, O oh God, to pray for wise and discerning spirits. Give us wisdom to know good from evil. Give us wisdom to assess the clamoring voices and concerns with which we are daily bombarded. Give us wisdom to be peacemakers and mediators of understanding where there's conflict, judgment, and discrimination. Give us wisdom where we are in conflict to make it possible both for us and for those with whom we differ to save face and win and move forward hand in hand. Give us wisdom to discern what is of ultimate value for our souls and to make wise choices. Lord, this day, pray, help us to be more intentional about living a life more life transformed. Help us to be fit for purpose. God, give us wisdom. God, give us discernment. God, give us the will to be faithful. God, give us the power to live in your love, light, and wisdom. Amen.